can go to have a seat harvest and kids you can go ahead into the fellowship hall for harvest kids thanks for hanging out and worshiping us with us this morning guys uh, so if you're visiting with us this morning my name is Andrew Watkins I have the privilege of serving here at Harvest Annapolis as an associate pastor and whether you're joining us in person this morning or you're tuning in online we're so thankful that you have chosen to spend part of your Sunday morning uh, with us I want to bring your attention to a few things first of all uh, if you are visiting again we are so thankful that you're here we actually have a gift for you so if you are you so you'll see a connect card somewhere in a seat back in front of you and we'd love it if you'd give it to somebody wearing a lanyard or myself or somebody like that and we've got a gift for you uh, after the service and also you'll notice in the seat backs there's a QR code there uh, you can uh, scan that QR code with your phone and it'll take you to our new app where you can find everything that you could possibly want to know uh, more extensive announcements than I'm going to give right now but I do want to highlight a few things uh, first of all uh, for Harvest students uh, tonight we have a student hangout from 6 to 8 p.m. here at church that's for all middle schoolers and high schoolers uh, come hang out have fun you can see uh, Kelsey Cole or Marty Michalowski for more information about that uh, also if you are newer to Harvest. We're going to invite you to what we call step one uh, next week after the service for just a few minutes, just to hang out, uh, kind of get to know what we're about as a church, uh, kind of our, our main, our, our vision, our mission, things like that, why we do some things, we what, the way that we do them. It'll take about 10, 15 minutes. We'll have some snacks. And so just come and hang out. We'll probably be in the room back there uh, across from the bathrooms uh, after church uh, next week. Finally, the big announcement coming up in uh, less, almost a month, a month from this week, uh, is our marriage conference coming up on February 9th and 10th. And this is an incredible opportunity. I want to really encourage you guys uh, to sign up for that. And so what I do right now, uh, raise your hand if you like saving money. Don't leave me. Okay. So now leave, leave them up. Oh, we're not done yet. So put your hand down if you've already registered for the marriage conference. Okay. That didn't go the way. All right, I can't even see. So this did not work the way I had planned. Anyway, here's the announcement. The early bird savings uh, price uh, ends next Sunday. And so if you'd like to save money, and you should, and you'd like to go to the marriage conference, and you really should, uh, register online or through the app uh, by next Sunday. And uh, for a couple, you can save about $30. Uh, but I'd really encourage you to do this. It's an incredible opportunity. Uh, I firmly believe that if we're going to ask of your time, especially on like a Friday night and a Saturday, which the conference is, we want to make it worth your time. And it really will be worth your time. It's a great investment uh, in your marriage with Dr. Dave Harvey, the president of Great Commission Collective. And so uh, just keep your, keep your mind on that and register this week. And finally, it's my privilege this morning to make a couple of uh, introductions, actually. Uh, first of all, you'll notice that uh, somebody was missing on stage this morning and somebody else was missing at the back of the room this morning. Uh, that would be Nate and Stephanie Pine. And so Friday morning, I think we got a slide coming. Uh, they got to welcome Elias Jude Rufus Pine just before seven o'clock on Friday morning. Yeah. He was born, let me, get the, let me get the details right, seven pounds, six ounces, 19 inches long. Everybody's uh, doing great, and so uh, rejoice with them. We'll see them uh, in a few weeks, but uh, pray for them as they adjust to being a family of four and life with a newborn. So pray for them. And then second, uh, I have the privilege this morning of announcing our uh, guest speaker. We have uh, the privilege of being in a family of churches that I just referenced a few minutes ago called Great Commission Collective. And our, one of our closest sister churches is uh, Mission Church up in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. That's where Pastor Dan is preaching this morning, and they uh, sent uh, someone to uh, speak here. And so we have the privilege of having the Palmateer family with us, uh, Micah and Amanda and their two kids. And uh, Micah is a lay elder there. He's on staff as a uh, men's biblical counselor. He's a certified counselor. And so uh, it's going to be a, a joy to hear him open up God's word this morning. So Micah, would you get and come on and uh, open God's word for us this morning? And Harvest, let's welcome him. <laughs> 
Good morning, church. Happy New Year and happy Sunday morning. Uh, It's great to be with you here this morning. Before we really get started, um, would you just pray with me? Lord, we just, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to be here this morning in your house with your people worshiping you. Uh, What a privilege it is just to be able to look into your word to see what you would have for us this morning. I ask that you would speak to us through your word. I ask that you would just show us what you have for us this morning. Help me to communicate uh, your words faithfully this morning. And I just ask that it would affect hearts and minds. I pray for Pastor Dan as well this morning as he's preaching up in Lancaster. I pray that you would be with him, that he would also just communicate your word uh, effectively and faithfully, that hearts and minds would be affected there as well. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. So as you have heard, my name is Micah Palmatier. I am from Mission Church Lancaster, sister church about an hour and a half uh, from here in Pennsylvania. I am uh, not a pastor there, as you've also heard. I am an elder there. Pastor Dan is up there uh, speaking this morning, and so I had the opportunity to come down here to be with you. Now, there's a little bit of a trade that took place there, I guess, and I'll be honest, it doesn't totally seem like a fair trade in my mind. I love Pastor Dan. He's a great pastor. I know he is a great preacher, and there's part of me that actually wishes I could be there in Lancaster hearing him this morning. Um, thinking through uh, trades like this, it kind of, I was thinking back to possibly uh, one of the most lopsided trades that has ever taken place in sports history where Babe Ruth was traded to the Yankees for money. And so obviously in that analogy, uh, Pastor Dan is Babe Ruth this morning. But as I said, I'm happy to be here. I recently went through a, we called it a ministry modular at our church which was a series of classes over a period of about two and a half years with the goal of raising up new pastors in the church. There were about 12 of us that went through that class together. And one of the classes that we took was a preaching class. And so I have had the privilege a few times over the past couple years of trying to exercise that, that preaching muscle a little bit. I haven't preached too many times, and so it made me think of uh, a little story from my past that one of the things that propelled me into ministry and gave me a heart for the church was that back in 2016, I was diagnosed with cancer, and just walking through that experience really gave me, like I said, a heart for ministry and a heart for the church. Now, I'm not going to dwell on that too much this morning. I'm not going to talk about that too much, but I had a particular experience that I thought might be analogous this morning. Part of my treatment program over those three years or so that I was getting treatments was spinal taps. I ended up having about 35 of them. But early on when I was inpatient in the hospital, now this is my least favorite procedure, my least favorite part of treatments, but early on when I was in the hospital, I was at the University of Penn Hospital in Philadelphia. And they would do the procedure there at my bedside in my room. They would come into the room. I would lay on my side on the bed and kind of curl up a little bit, and they would perform the procedure on my back. And I think it was the second, maybe third time I had that treatment done, a really young guy came into the room. And he asked me, how many times have you done this before? And I said, this is, I think, my second time. And he said, well, in that case, you've done it more than me. That was not what I wanted to hear. (laughs) He explained to me that he was a medical student, 
and that this was his first time. <laughs> now, that went about as you would have expected, I think. And I, as I was laying there, I was, I was waiting, as he told me, this is my first time performing this procedure. I was waiting for some kind of a punchline or some kind of additional qualification that he was going to present. Like maybe, like this is my first time performing this procedure, but I did stay at a Holiday Inn last night or something along those lines. Maybe this is my first time performing this procedure, but it's okay, I'm a limo driver. I was waiting for something other than this is my first time performing this procedure. So all that to say, as I'm here with you this morning, I hope that this process will not be quite as painful for you as that was for me. Now, the title of our message this morning is Hope in the Fire. And the passage that we're going to be in is from 1 Peter chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 3 through 9. And while you're turning there, I'd like to discuss a subject that I'm sure you're all familiar with, and it is the subject of pain. If you have been on this earth for any period of time, I'm sure that it's something you have personally experienced before, whether it's physical, mental, or emotional pain. Pain is just something that we are all familiar with. Now, I have a few quotes this morning, too, to share with you, just to kind of uh, reinforce the the centrality that this subject has in our society, quotes that I'm sure you have all heard before and are familiar with. The first, of course, no pain, no gain, right? We've all heard that. The heavyweight champion of the world, Muhammad Ali, said, I hated every minute of training, but I said to myself, suffer through the pain now and live the rest of your life as a champion. From the movie, The Princess Bride, Wesley says, life is pain, your highness. Anyone who says otherwise is selling you something. (laughs) Now, do we have, I know this is uh, a military area here. Do we have any Marines in the room this morning? Okay. (laughs) Do we have any former Marines in the room this morning? No, that's a trick question. There's no such thing as a former Marine, right? (laughs) Once a Marine, always a Marine. I know that our Marine in the room this morning is familiar with Chesty Puller. Has anyone else in here ever heard of him this morning? He's probably the most famous Marine of all time. He has the distinction of being the most decorated Marine of all time. He retired as a Lieutenant General. And he was in, he served in World War II and the Korean War. He was a great warrior and a great leader. Chesty Puller was a man's man and a Marine's Marine. Now he has several quotes that he is famous for, but the one that he's probably most famous for, he said, pain is weakness leaving the body. Now, these quotes that we've just heard and our life experience tell us two things really that we all know about pain. It's that we will experience pain in this life, but also that pain has a purpose. Now, I'd like to tell you a quick story that will further illustrate that truth, but before I do that, let me ask two questions. How would you like to go through the rest of your life without ever having to experience pain again? I think at at first glance, that might sound enjoyable, right? The second question, what would you think of a parent who said that they wished for their child to feel pain? What do you think if a parent told you that they wanted their child to experience pain? 
Does that sound like a good parent, or does that sound like a bad parent? Now, there's a disease called congenital insensitivity to pain, or CIP. And people who have this disease, there's a disconnect between the nerves in their body and their brain. And they are incapable of feeling the sensation of pain. That might sound somewhat enjoyable when we first think about it, but the reality is people with CIP are actually in great danger because they could sustain severe burns, cuts, life-endangering injuries, internal injuries, internal bleeding, things like appendicitis, and they would never even know that anything was wrong because they cannot feel pain. Now, years ago, there was a woman who was interviewed on the news who had a daughter who suffered with CIP. And what she said was, I pray every day that God would give my daughter a sense of pain. And so I would ask again, is that a good parent or a bad parent? Now this mom knew what we all know, that pain does have a purpose. And while it might be uncomfortable, it is for our good. And as believers, we know, we understand this concept intellectually, but sometimes it can be difficult for us to really remember that, especially when we're struggling. We can forget that Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. When we're experiencing pain, it's easy to forget that the Apostle Paul told us not to be, or sorry, Peter told us not to be surprised when the fiery trial comes upon us. Now, I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life when I've wondered, why am I suffering right now when I'm just trying to do the right thing? I'm trying to serve the Lord. I'm trying to serve the church. I'm trying to help someone. Why is this so difficult? Why am I suffering right now? Why is this happening? We can so easily forget that pain is not only expected, but that it has a purpose. As we walk through life and experience the painful fires that life brings our way, we're all looking for the same thing in the midst of it, aren't we? We're looking for hope. Hope is something that our society needs and longs for, and it's something that Uh, President Obama and his campaign recognized in 2008 when they promised the nation change and hope, right? It's something that we all have burning inside of us, this longing for hope in this life, but we know that the hope that the world has to offer is a hope that does not last, don't we? C.S. Lewis said that if we find within ourselves a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy And the most likely explanation is that we were made for another world. And I would agree with him on that. Now, the purposes for pain that we've already identified this morning from the quotes that we heard and the story that I told are just temporary earthly purposes. The exciting thing we're going to see this morning is that the pain we experience in the Christian life has an eternal kingdom purpose. And that not only gives us purpose, it gives us hope. And that's Really, the theme, the entire theme of Peter's first letter here is hope. It was written by the Apostle Peter, one of the original 12 disciples of Christ, and it was written to several groups of believers in in an area that would now be modern-day Turkey. They had been dispersed. They had been persecuted. They were in the midst of a fire, and what they really needed was hope. And Peter wrote this letter to give them hope in the midst of that fire. 
And I know that for us, for you and I, as we move through this life and we experience the painful fires around us, that's something that we are longing for ourselves. And so as we work through seven verses in this first chapter of First Peter, we're going to see three things in the midst of the fire that give us hope. They are a guaranteed inheritance, genuine faith, and glorious joy. And here's the main idea this morning. If you're taking notes, you want to write this down. This is the main idea of this passage in First Peter. It's the main idea of our message this morning. And it's that we have hope in the fire because we have been born for glory, kept for glory, and prepared for glorious joy. I'll say that again. We have hope in the fire because we have been born for glory, kept for glory, and prepared for glorious joy. So if you would look with me at 1 Peter chapter 1, we'll start in verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, the thing that immediately sticks out to us here is that, as we already discussed, Peter says we have hope, but he says it's not just any hope. He says it's a living hope. It's an active hope. Uh, I think it's important and helpful to just pause here for a second and remember who was writing this letter. So this was Peter, one of the original 12 disciples. This was the Peter who on the night of the crucifixion denied Jesus three times. To save his own skin, he lied and said that he didn't even know who Jesus was. On that night, he was hopeless And so we have to ask ourselves, what changed? What happened that turned Peter from a cowering, hopeless wimp into a courageous, hope-filled, and bold preacher of the gospel? He actually gives us the answer to that question in verse 3, where he says that we have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that is what gave Peter hope, the resurrection And it's what can give us hope here this morning as well. And so that'll bring us to our first point. The first thing that gives us hope in the midst of the fire is a guaranteed inheritance. Now, imagine with me for a moment that you're at home one day when you hear a knock on the door. You answer the door and there's a man sitting there, standing there in a suit and tie who says to you that, You have a long-lost uncle who recently passed away and has left you a fortune 
beyond your wildest dreams. Now think about what your reaction would be in a moment like that. I think for me, after thinking that this must be some kind of a scam or that this sounds too good to be true, I would be overjoyed at the inheritance that I was receiving. And I think my next question would be, what do I have to do to receive this inheritance? Now imagine that this man at the door says, you don't have to do anything. You just need to simply say that you accept and it all belongs to you. Now things like this have actually happened in the real world. In 2009, there were two brothers who were living in Budapest. Their names were Zolt and Giza Pilati. These two brothers were so poor, they were homeless. They were living in a cave and digging through other people's trash for food. When a couple charity aid workers found them and informed them that their grandmother had recently died and had left them in her will $5 billion. Now, can you imagine going from paupers to princes like that, to going from living in a cave with no food to living in any mansion that you desired with any food that you wanted? Now, they did nothing to earn or deserve that inheritance. They were simply chosen for that inheritance that was beyond their wildest dreams. All they had to do was accept the free gift that was being offered to them. And in many ways, that is just like the inheritance that Peter is talking about here. If you look again at verses three through five, he says, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Well, there are three quick truths that we see here about the inheritance that Peter describes. He tells us that it is prepared, that it is perfect, and that it is protected. Now first, our inheritance is prepared. Notice here that all of the action that's taken in these two verses we just read, all of the verbs in these two verses apply to God. It says he has caused us to be born again. And just like our physical birth, our spiritual rebirth is not something that is under our control. He has caused us to be born again, it says in verse 3. Verse 4 says he is keeping it in heaven for us. Verse five says, and he is guarding it for us in heaven by his power. Now this actually coincides perfectly with what the apostle Paul says in Ephesians one, when he says, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. He chose us. He adopted us. He has prepared an inheritance for us. And secondly, we see that our inheritance is perfect. Verse four says that our inheritance will not perish. It will not be defiled and it will not fade. It's perfect and it's eternal. And in this way, 
our inheritance in Christ differs from the inheritance that the brothers in Budapest received and any material inheritance we could ever receive on this earth. See, as incredible as $5 billion might be, it will not last. It will perish and it will fade. And if we would rejoice at being chosen by a long lost uncle for a temporary fading and perishing inheritance on this earth, how much more should, be re- should we be rejoicing at an eternal creator of the universe choosing us for an everlasting, never-ending, imperishable, unfading, perfect inheritance that will be ours for all of eternity. And then thirdly, we see that our inheritance is protected. Verses four and five say that our inheritance is being kept for us, is being guarded for us by God until we are ready to receive it. And once again, God is the one that's doing the work here. We do not have to keep or guard our own salvation and eternal life. The original Greek word that was translated here as kept in verse four was actually a military term. And it literally means to guard, to protect, or to shield something. And another interesting thing about this original Greek word is that it was written in the present continuous tense, which means it is being guarded right now, and it will continue to be guarded until the end of time, until it's ready to be revealed to us. So we've seen that the first thing that gives us hope in the midst of the fire is our guaranteed inheritance. Now we'll talk about the second thing that gives us hope, and that is genuine faith. That's point number two here this morning, genuine faith. Look again at verses six and seven. Peter says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, Peter was painting a picture here for his audience that the original audience would have understood well. He says that our faith is proven to be genuine or pure like gold that is tested by fire. And his audience would have understood this process for purifying gold in the first century. See, gold has a very high melting point, so they would put it on a very hot fire of about 2,000 degrees for this whole process to take place. The fire would melt the gold and everything else that it contained, and the impurities that were trapped within the gold would rise to the surface. Those impurities were called dross. The goldsmith would scoop the dross off the top and remove it, leaving a more purified product behind. Now, This process would be repeated again and again until the gold was totally pure. And Peter's saying that the same thing is happening to us when we face fires and trials in life. As the heat is applied, if our faith in Christ is genuine, then the impurities in our hearts will rise to the surface and be carried away, leaving a more purified product behind. God, through the power of his Holy Spirit, uses the trials that we endure in faith to purify us and make us more like himself. Peter was actually just 
reiterating a concept that he had heard from Jesus himself just a few years earlier. In Matthew 13, we find the parable of the sower in which Jesus points out a few different types of people. Now, the ones that interest us this morning are found in verses five, six, and eight, where Jesus says, other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some 60, and some 30. He then went on to explain this parable to his disciples later in that chapter when he says, as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit. Now the parable that Jesus told in Matthew 13 in the letter that Peter wrote that we are looking at this morning are both telling us something important. They're telling us that if you have heard the word and believed and then have faced the heat, the trials of this life that Jesus refers to as the scorching heat of the sun and Peter refers to as the fire, if you have faced that heat and stood firm in your faith, if you chose to continue to trust God in the midst of it, then guess what? You have hope. You have hope because you have the assurance that your faith is genuine. You will never have to go through this life wondering whether or not your faith in Christ is real. You'll never have to wonder if you are in the rocky soil or the good soil. Your endurance is evidence that the word has taken root in your life and has produced fruit. If you think about this, this is such a kindness of God to us to give us in his word this kind of assurance of our eternal inheritance. We will never have to question whether or not that inheritance actually belongs to us. And here's why that hope is so substantial, because just like the inheritance we've received, our purification is eternal. And Peter reminds us in verse 7 that even the most pure gold will perish, but we will not. I read earlier a quote from Muhammad Ali in which he said that he suffered through and endured the training in order to live the rest of his life as a champion. Now, the sad thing about that is that that reward was temporary. That reward faded, and when his time on this earth ended, so did the glory that went along with it. So did the gold, so did his hope. But our reward, our inheritance, is imperishable, it's undefiled, and it's everlasting. Now, two other things that I would like to quickly point out about the trials that we face that Peter makes clear to us here. I think it's something that is easy to miss if we don't look closely at this passage. He says in verse six, there are two things about the various trials that we face. He says they are for a little while, and he also says that they are necessary. And so I, I would want to encourage you this morning that whatever you may be going through that may seem like it's lasting for more than just a little while, 
When compared to the glory of eternity that he's talking about here, I promise it's just a flash in the pan. And you will not be made to endure the heat of this fire one second longer than God has foreseen and allows. Even if the pain that you're enduring, that you're experiencing has been a lifelong experience, I can confidently say to you this morning that if you accept the inheritance that's been offered to you through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, that this fire is not even going to be a distant memory to you when you enter into eternity and hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. Now, secondly, our trial is necessary. He tells us that again in verse six, and that means that God is not surprised by what we go through on this earth. Things might not always go the way that I would want them to, the way that I would expect them to, but I can be sure that they will go exactly the way he wants them to and the way he expects them to. Just like the purification process for gold that will fade away, it is the heat of the fire that purifies our hearts. The evangelist G. Campbell Morgan once said, affliction is not something to be endured in order to reach glory. It is the very process which creates glory. Now, we've looked at two things from this passage that give us hope. They were a guaranteed inheritance and genuine faith. And so now let's look at the third thing that Peter says gives us hope in the midst of the fire. And it's point number three, it's glorious joy. If you look one more time with me at your Bibles, he says, though you have not seen him, You love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now we've already seen and talked about that all of the action taken up to this point has been taken by God. He had mercy. He has caused us to be born again. He has risen from the dead. He has given us an inheritance. He has guarded that inheritance and he will reveal our salvation. Verses eight and nine here are the first time in this passage that we are called to take any kind of action in response. We're called here to have an indescribable joy that's filled with glory. And there are three specific ways that we can accomplish that. First, if we have, we will have joy if we love Christ. Peter says in verse eight that while we do not see him, we love him. And something that's fascinating to me about this is that finally, when we're called to take action, we're called to do something, it's still not a process that we've initiated. While this verse is calling us to love Christ, we know that 1 John 4.19 tells us we love because he first loved us. We're only capable of doing what this verse asks us to do. We're only capable of loving Christ because he has shown us what it looks like to love. God wants our trials to bring out the best in us. And what is the best in us is the love of Christ. Now, the second thing that contributes to our joy is to trust Christ. Some translations say in verse eight, though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And others say, though you do not now see him, you trust him. Peter is calling us here 
to live by faith and not by sight. In the midst of a trial, we trust God by obeying his word and hanging on to his promises despite how things might look around us. John Owen once said, no man shall ever behold the glory of Christ by sight in heaven who does not in some measure behold it by faith in this world. I don't believe that Peter is advocating here for a blind faith with no reason behind it. See, we can trust that the Lord will have us in the present because we've experienced him holding us in the past. We know that he has been faithful and he will continue to be faithful to fulfill his promises. The third and final thing that contributes to our joy is to receive from Christ. Verse nine says that we are to obtain or receive again, depending on your translation, the outcome of our faith. And that outcome is our salvation. It's the inheritance that we've already talked about. We simply just need to receive it from Christ. And this is what allows us to rejoice with glorious joy in the midst of our trials. Loving Christ in response to his love for us. Trusting Christ in response to his faithfulness. And receiving from Christ the inheritance that he has prepared, perfected, and protected for us since before the beginning of time. Speaking on this notion, Warren Wearsby said, if we love him, trust him, and rejoice in him, then we can receive from him all that we need to turn trials into triumphs. Now, if we take a look at everything that we've talked about this morning, and we look at it backwards, Here's what we see. We see that we, you and I, can have an abundant, irresistible, glorious joy, even in the midst of the most fiery trials of this life, because we know that God is molding and refining us to receive the perfect, unvarnished, unfading, eternal inheritance that he has died for, was resurrected for, and has prepared and guarded for us because and only because of his great love for us. And if that does not give us joy this morning, then nothing ever will. Now, as we start to draw to a close here, I would like to ask you to participate in a little exercise with me. Just take a moment and close your eyes if you need to. Think about a situation in your life right now where you are struggling to find hope. Think of a trial or a circumstance where the heat is being applied to you right now. Maybe there are struggles in your marriage Maybe there are difficulties with your kids. Maybe there are difficulties with your parents. Maybe you're suffering through the grief that accompanies the loss of a loved one. Maybe in a place like this, you're one of the military families here this morning and you're struggling to make a transition back to civilian life and things seem meaningless and hopeless right now. It could be a tough situation at work or the hopelessness that can come with a tragic medical diagnosis. Maybe, just like the original audience that received this letter, you're experiencing persecution for your faith. 
Whatever situation or circumstance you've got in mind that you're tempted to see as hopeless, keep that thing in the front of your mind for a moment. We talked a little bit earlier about the first century process for purifying gold. As the heat was applied, the gold would melt. The impurities that were contained within the gold would rise to the surface and the goldsmith would scoop that dross, those impurities off the, off the surface and take them away. That process would be repeated again and again and again until the gold was perfectly pure. That raises the question, how did the goldsmith know when the gold was pure? The answer is that he would look over the pot and see his own reflection in the gold. Well, that circumstance that you have in mind this morning that seems hopeless to you, as the heat of fire is applied to your life, ask yourself this question. When Jesus, the almighty goldsmith, stands over me and looks on my life, does he see his own reflection looking back at him? As the trials of this life scorch my soul and the world is watching me walk through this fire, is it the reflection and the love of Jesus that they see looking back at them? Now, if you're here this morning and you have placed your trust in Christ, then you can rest assured that as you are enduring the heat, Jesus is standing right by your side. He is changing you into his image and likeness. And while that reflection may not be perfectly clear yet, it's growing more clear every day. The day will come. For now, the Apostle Paul says, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. However, maybe you're here this morning and you have not trusted Christ. Maybe you haven't accepted the free gift that God offers you to become one of his children and receive the inheritance that he offers freely. Now, I'm sorry to say this, but if that is you, there's no hope beyond this life. This is as good as it will ever get. There is no eternal purpose in the pain the fires of this life will still come, but instead of being purified and refined, you will only be burned. But thank God this morning that that does not have to be the end of your story. You can have the unfading, everlasting hope that you've heard about here this morning. Acknowledge that Jesus is the Lord of your life. Confess to him that you recognize that you've sinned Ask him to forgive you, and you can become God's child. And I promise you that he will come alongside you and begin to remove the dross, the impurities from your heart. You can receive the inheritance that is more valuable than any other. You can have hope. You can be changed. And when this life ends, you will be like him. Now, it's difficult for us to imagine exactly what the glory of heaven will be like. It can be difficult for us to picture 
the reward that this passage is saying will be revealed to us in the last time. But I love the picture that C.S. Lewis paints for us at the end of his Chronicles of Narnia series. This is what he says. And of course it is different, as different as a real thing is from a shadow, or as waking life is from a dream. I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I have been looking for all my life. And then he concludes, and as Aslan spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now, at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you this morning for the hope that you have given us. We thank you that the trials and the fires of this life are not purposeless and they are not hopeless. We thank you for the inheritance that you have offered us freely. I just ask this morning that if anyone is here that does not know you, if there is anyone here that will not be a recipient of that inheritance, I just ask that you would move in their hearts this morning. Give them a desire for you. Draw them to yourself. Save them. Purify them to receive that internal, that eternal, perfect inheritance. We thank you for all that you've done for us. We thank you for your word and we thank you for the opportunity that we have had to be here this morning. In your name we pray, amen.